Good morning. It's good to see all of you. I love that last song that we sang there and the message of it. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Now, I wonder, do any of your kids, do all of you kids know what it means to delight? What do you think it means to delight? Any of you guys know? What's it mean to delight? Yes, to take joy in. Well, what's that mean? To be happy, to be cheerful, to enjoy. Delight means to enjoy, and we delight and we enjoy ourselves in the Lord. The Lord our God, the one who loves us, the one who has done everything so that we could be saved and forgiven, the one who wants to to be with us. The one who will never leave us nor forsake us. The one whom we can be with all the time. Do we delight in the Lord? Well, as we learned last week and over the last few weeks actually, we've been seeing some historical figures who did not follow the Lord. They didn't serve the Lord. And part of the reason is is that they didn't delight in the Lord. They didn't find joy in the Lord. They went looking for joy in all the wrong places. We're going to meet a guy today who's the son of Rehoboam. And his name is Abijam. And Abijam went looking for joy in a lot of different places. And ends up he forsook the Lord in doing so. He went looking for joy in wives. We find out later on today here that he married 14 wives. I think he actually compounded his, uh, I don't think he found joy. I think he maybe found the opposite in that. Uh, Trouble, trouble, trouble comes. Do we delight ourselves in the Lord? There's some other lessons we're going to learn about here today, and it, it has to do with other things because it's not just about like you know God. It's not about acting like you, um, you know God, you love God, and you serve God. You know, lots of us come from Christian families. Lots of us have moms and dads who are believers. And is our beliefs just because mom and dad believe it? Do we say the right things just because we know that if we don't, we might get in trouble or our friends might look down on us? Well, Today we're going to learn about a king who had a lot of reasons to be mm, good, but he chose to go his own way. Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Chronicles 13, 2 Chronicles 13. We're going to jump into the middle of this chapter, um, but just to let you know how the parallels work, um, I encourage you to, if your Bible doesn't already mark and record for you the parallel passages, that you do it. So what we have here going on in Second Chronicles chapter 13, um, we have in verse actually in verse all the whole chapter is paralleled together with 1 Kings chapter 5 verses 1 through 8. So if you're there by 1 Chronicles 13, just right next to that chapter, 
1 Kings 15, 1 through 8. And then a little bit later, when we go to 1 Kings chapter 15, 1 through 8, you can write there beside the chapter, you can write 2 Chronicles 13. What we're going to find out is, is that 1 Kings records very little information about this next king. Pretty much about the fact that he was made king by his father, that he then lived and died, and that's about it. But we have a major event in the history of Israel recorded for us in the Chronicles record. Let's look at our timeline. We've seen this, the united monarchy. King Saul of Benjamin. David then became king, a new dynasty. His son Solomon. When Solomon died in approximately 975 B.C., the kingdom was divided. We have the northern kingdom called Israel, and we have the southern kingdom, and what's that called? What's it called? Yeah, Judah, right there. Judah and Israel, that's their most common names. They have other names, but those are the most common names. Sometimes they're called the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom. Um, sometimes Israel is called Ephraim um, because of the prominence of the tribe of Ephraim in the northern kingdom, just like Judah is called, the southern kingdom is called Judah because of the prominence of Judah in the southern kingdom. So here we have these kings. Now, where are we at today? Watch here. We've already come through now the reign of Rehoboam, so Solomon's son. We've wrapped up his reign, and now we're going to learn today about Abijam. He's also called Abijah. Abijam and Abijah. Same name, same guy. I know it's a little bit confusing, um, but he is, he's the king who comes after Rehoboam. You'll notice that he reigns a very short time. But you notice that he is king at the same time as what king up in the north? What king up in the north? What king up in the north? What's your name? Jeroboam. Jeroboam. So Abijam is king at the same time as Jeroboam up in the northern kingdom. Well, we look through this, and um, it tells us in 2 Chronicles 11, verse 22, that Rehoboam, coming back down to Judah, was, was wise in that he appointed his sons as rulers throughout the land of Judah. And it tells us in chapter 11, verse 22, that Rehoboam made Abijah, the son of Maacah, the chief, to be the ruler among his brethren, for he thought to make him king. So sometime here, before Rehoboam died, and perhaps very early on in his reign, he picked out Abijah to be king after him. Now, I don't know why this note is made. Maybe this note is made special because Abijah may not have been the oldest. We don't know. But it was a special case here where he set him to be the king after him. And then we turn over to 2 Chronicles chapter 13, or chapter 12, I mean, and verse 16, and it tells us there that Rehoboam slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, and Abijah his son reigned in his stead. Rehoboam now is dead, and his son now is king. 
Chapter 13, verse 1 tells us, now in the 18th year, that's how we know where to put this yellow line. In the 18th year of King Jeroboam began Abijah to reign over Judah. He reigned three years in Jerusalem. His mother's name also was Micaiah, the daughter of Ural of Gibeah. Now, are you paying attention to the introductions here? And when you hear that, does anything be like, well, wait, wait a minute. Is, did you just contradict yourself? How many of you caught anything there? Oh, this is one reason why I want to publish and get these harmonies out to you, where we take and we put the passages side by side. Because if you were to compare the record that is recorded in 1 Kings with the record recorded in 2 Chronicles, you would find that Abijah, has mother, has a different name. And she's the daughter of a different person. So, there are some people who jump up and down all excited. The Bible's full of contradictions, and here one is. So, do you think that's true? Well, I think it's important for us to come to the Bible with the presupposition, that means we pre-assume, that the Bible is true, accurate, and reliable, and that it has been preserved for us. So that means that when we find this contradiction, we have to ask ourselves, is there something we are missing? Well, if we don't compare things carefully, we might miss something. Look here at this family tree. I'm sorry, their faces are almost oblivious on this here, but you can see the people, right? see their shoulders at least, these characters. Now, some of you may recognize these characters as coming from Logos. Just to let you know, this didn't come from Logos because Logos, the company who put together the computer software, Bible software, um, just took one passage, only took one passage here and didn't try to bring the two of them together. What I've taken is their people and I've tried to bring it together to try to explain it in more detail. See, 1 Kings records us and tells us that Maaka. Not to be confused with this one, by the way. David married a woman named Ma'aka, a princess. Remember her? She was the princess who bore Absalom and Tamar. So not that Ma'aka, but you see the names carry on. And so David and Ma'aka have Absalom. Now in 1 Kings it tells us that Ma'aka was the daughter of Absalom. Well, we know and I, I hope you know this, that all throughout your Bible, you'll find the references and re, how people are related. And when it uses the word daughter, when it uses the word son, it doesn't always mean one generation gap between them. It could mean one generation gap, but it could have gaps between the generations. It doesn't have to be um, father, son, grandson. It could be father and jump down to great grandson. And in some cases, it does that. Well, so what, if you look at these and if you assume that both passages are correct, then this is a picture you would get. That is, is that Absalom, who by the way was much older than Solomon, he was up there within the first seven years of David's reign and it was a 40-year reign. Absalom had a daughter whose name was Tamar. Now this union we're not exactly sure of, but we're told that Maacah, also named Micaiah, uh, Ma Machikiah, 
I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but um, is the daughter of Absalom, and it says that she's the daughter of Uriel. So how does it fit together? This would be a possible solution to the supposed contradiction. You see it? She's still a daughter of Absalom, but she's also a daughter of Ural. And so the two fit together if we look at it this way. Now, we're not absolutely positive that it flows together here because God hasn't given us the full story. And that's one reason why sometimes when we find contradictions, we, got, we have to presuppose that not all the information is there. Because, I mean, we only have how many pages? And we have lots of detail in just these pages. And so there's lots of information that's not delineated for us. And so sometimes we have to piece things together. And this is a suggested uh, piecing together of this family to try to help understand it. And also makes more sense in the marriage of Rehoboam within this family now being more extended than just straight first cousins. So that's another piece of it that brings out an extension at this time. Although at this time it was common for cousins to marry each other. So there's a little piece a little piece of information that I hope helps you in looking at all of this. So, now let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. First, I'm not chapter, not chapter 3, 1 Kings chapter 15. We're going to learn some more information about Abijah. Abijah. Look with me at 1 Kings 15, 3. And it tells us that he walked in all the sins of his father, which he had done before him, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. Hmm. This is sad. Rehoboam, he's dead. Abijah's now king. We'd hoped he would be a good king, right? A godly man. But no, he walked in the sins, all the sins of his father. Now, if you're like me, you don't have a good memory. And you probably have already forgotten about it. About what these sins of Rehoboam were. Or at least where to find it. So again, take your pen out. And mark next to all the sins of his father this reference. 1 Kings 14, 22. 1 Kings 14, 22. Because there it tells us about the sins of his father. 2 Chronicles 12, 1 also says that Rehoboam forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. It wasn't just Rehoboam. All Israel forsook the law of the Lord with him. And it tells us in 1 Kings 14, 22, and Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they had committed, above all that their fathers had done. For they also built them high places. Those were pagan worship centers. And images, idols, and groves, places where trees were, where they worshipped idols and beasts and all kinds of weird things. On every high hill and under every green tree 
Throughout the whole land, they turned every tree and every grove and every high hill into a shrine to idols, to false gods. And there were also sodomites in the land. And they did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And so when we're reading here in 1 Kings 15 that Abijam, or Abijah, he walked in all the sins of his father, we need to remember what's recorded over in 1 Kings 14. And it's really sad. Really, really bad. Abijam was a wicked king walking in these terrible sins of idolatry. We need to keep this in mind. Do you know why? Because if we don't keep this in mind, we won't understand as we keep reading this history today. Because we might get the idea that Abijam's a great king because he sure knows how to talk the talk. Beware of people who know how to talk the talk. Talk right, but don't really live right. That's the case here with Abijam. He's got good theology. In fact, he's sometimes got better theology than some theologians today have. But he's a wicked man. And he's really a hypocrite. It means he's fake. He's not real. And all that you're going to hear that's oh so spiritual and good isn't real. I'm telling you ahead of the story. So let's go and launch in to that story. You might say, so if he is so wicked, then why doesn't God just, you know, take those last two pieces away from him of the kingdom? Remember, he's got just two of the pieces still. Why doesn't God just rip it away from him, be done with this guy? I mean, here we've got two kings, Rehoboam and Abijah. And it was in the days of Solomon that God said he was going to take and divide the kingdom. Can't forget that history either because that comes up later on in, in Abijam's speech. When God tore the kingdom from the house of David, but left two pieces, left two tribes to Judah. Well, why doesn't God just be done with the house of David? The dynasty of David, just be done with the house of David. I mean, Rehoboam's a bad king. Now his son Abijam's a bad king. Just let's just be done with him. Right? Does it sound like a plan? Why can't God just be done with him? Just do what he's prophesied will happen with Jeroboam. We go back on our timeline. Jeroboam, you know, God has said that Jeroboam, his dynasty is number done. He's already given judgment to Jeroboam that you, none, none, none of your descendants will die in peace. You will not, you, you and your family, you, you'll be destroyed. Destroyed. Why doesn't he do the same thing for Abijah? Well, let's keep reading. For it tells us in verse 4, 1 Kings 15, 4, nevertheless, nevertheless, so that means you've just heard how bad Abijah is. King Abijah, he's really bad. Nevertheless, for David's sake, did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem? It's an inter 
interesting phrase of, of a witness of God keeping his promise. Uh, that's also used in Revelation. The concept of a light and a lamp is having to do with a, a witness as well as life. A lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. God is leaving him because he's got to set up his son after him and his son after him and his son after him until Shiloh come, until the Messiah come, till Jesus come. That's why God couldn't just obliterate the kingdom of Judah because of David's sake. And it tells us in verse 5, because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. And we don't have time to review that history, but God made a promise to David. The promise to David is that you'll have an everlasting kingdom. Now, I got a question. Did Jeroboam steal the kingdom? No. God gave it to him, didn't he? God gave him those northern ten tribes. Keep that in mind as we keep on going here. And it tells us here, if you're following along there in 1 Kings, that verse 6, it says this, And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all the days of his life. And you might say, wait a minute. I thought Rehoboam was dead. Why is it all of a sudden bringing up the fact that there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, these two kings, all the days of their life? You know why it's bringing it up here in the narrative? Because when Rehoboam died, the war didn't stop. The war didn't stop. In fact, it intensified. It's implied here that it got worse. It got worse. For then, we now need to turn over to 1 Chronicles 13. Because 1 Kings, just that's all it gives us. It doesn't even tell us about the fact that there was war between Abijam and, and, and Jeroboam. But we got to turn over to, first, or to 2 Chronicles chapter 13. Chapter 13, where it tells us that there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. And Abijah, he set the battle in array. Now, I see all kinds of soldiers over here. Who do these soldiers all belong to? You're Jeroboam. And so who's your soldiers? You've got these guys here. Okay, you guys go over with him. And um, you go over there. We're going to have, say, Judah's going to be over here, okay? You three? Okay. And I have some other soldiers out there I know of, at least one, two. Okay, so we've got over here one, two, three, four. You're over here. Five. Now, you, you see, I'm picking out just, I'm, I'm counting numbers. Now, I'm counting, and it's going to be really easy for us to count. But back in this day, it wasn't quite so easy. So here we've got one, two, three, four, and then you're over there. You're over there. You're over there. <laughs> one, two, three, four, five, plus the king. Okay, I need some more helpers. Who wants to be my helpers? Uh -huh, I'm going to just start calling names. Um, how many more do I need here? One, two, three, four, five. So here's what I'm doing. King Jeroboam, he's over here. Guess how many men he has that he brings to this battle? Any guesses? He got five. 
Yeah, he's got five. Well, that's not enough. Because you see, each one of these guys, they represent a hundred thousand soldiers. So Jeroboam, you've already got a half a million. He's already got his half a million. I'm going to be Abijam. And you know what? I'm over here. See my guys? We've got 400,000. My 400,000 men. But he has more than 500,000. I, I need three more guys over here. Come on. Isaac, you too. Mr. Smith, you want to come join them? Okay. Now, I only have so many swords, so let's see here. They need some swords too. I'm like, be so excited. <laughs> All right, so here's my, my war, guys. And there's Jeroboam. So, now, just look at this crowd here between these two. Now, who do you think is going to win? The eight guys or the four guys? Why do you say the four? Why? I am a wicked king. You really think God's going to let, you know, you know, me win? Well, what's going to happen? 800,000 of the northern tribes. 400,000 from Judah. And you know what? It tells us that they arrayed themselves in battle. Now, I got to give these guys over here some instructions because I'm not sure their captain knows what happens. Okay, now they know what they're supposed to do. But I need another helper. Anybody here know how to play the trumpet? To be a priest, to play the trumpet? William does, I know he does. Do you want to be the priest now? He wants to hold the sword, not the trumpet. Um, well, I need somebody who maybe can't blow it, but at least can come up here and stand in the place for it. Let's see here. Um, James, you want to be the guy? You don't want to be the guy? Really? How, how about you, Walter? You want to be the priest? No? Okay. I was looking for... How about you, Philip? You want to be the priest? Come on, come on. Come on. You be the priest. You get to wear the crown. Remember the high... This one's a high priest crown. Doesn't really fit very well. But hey... We'll put it on there, and then you hold the trumpet. All right? Now, you want to go stand up there right next to the pulpit up there? Or you guys can all go up. You all go up there and stand next to the pulpit. All right? Now, it tells us these are our armies. See, we've got Abijam, he has 400,000 men. Jeroboam, he has 800,000 men. And if you look at the narrative, these are chosen men. These are mighty men of valor. Do you guys hear that? Mighty men of valor. 
Well, it tells us that Abijah, he set the battle in array. He found himself a high place, the high ground. He found himself in the high ground, a hill that bordered right on the edge of Benjamin and Ephraim, right at the enemy line. And he set himself in array. But when he set himself in array, he began to speak to all the people and he says to them, Hear me thou, Jeroboam, and all Israel. Ought ye not to know that the Lord, God of Israel, gave the kingdom over Israel to David forever, even to him and to his sons by a covenant of salt? Yet, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the servant of Solomon, the son of David, is risen up and hath rebelled against his Lord. And there are gathered unto him vain men, the children of Belial, and have strengthened themselves against Rehoboam, my father, the son of Solomon. When Rehoboam was young and tenderhearted and could not withstand you, and now ye think to withstand the kingdom of the Lord in the hand of the sons of David, and ye be a great multitude. And there are with you the golden calves which Jeroboam made for you gods. <laughs> Have ye not cast out the priests of the Lord, the sons of Aaron and the Levites, and have made you priests after the manner of the nations of other lands? So that whosoever cometh to consecrate himself with a young bullock and seven rams, the same may be a priest of them that are no gods. But as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. And the priests which minister unto the Lord are the sons of Aaron. And the Levites wait upon their business. And they burn unto the Lord every morning and every evening, burnt sacrifices and sweet incense. The showbread also they set in order upon the pure table. And the candlestick of gold with the lamps thereof to burn every evening. For we keep the charge of the Lord our God. But ye have forsaken him. And behold, God himself is for us, with us, for our captain. And his priests, 
with the sounding trumpets to cry alarm against you, O children of Israel. O children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. And did you hear this very eloquent speech? What's going to happen? Well, during this speech, Jeroboam had a strategy and a plan. He wasn't moved by it. And did you hear the speech ends? Oh, children of Israel, oh, children of Israel, fight ye not against the Lord God of your fathers, for ye shall not prosper. So you think they're all going to go away? Israel, you're going to retreat? No, instead they had set an abandonment and they had fought. But as this is going on here in this whole situation, the children of Israel cried unto the Lord and the priests, they sounded with the trumpets. And it says the men of Judah gave a shout as the men of Judah shouted, it came to pass that, get this, you may not have gotten this impression looking at all of this, that God smote Jeroboam and all Israel before Abijah and Judah. And the children of Israel fled from before Judah. And God delivered them into their hands. Now, Jeroboam, you didn't die yet. Get back up. No, you were one of the guys that ran away. Oh, maybe he did die. You were one of the guys that went running away. You got away. You didn't die yet. Not yet. But of the men of Israel, a half a million died in this battle. 500,000 died in this battle. Now, you didn't catch it all because all the commotion, all the activity. But what was happening is, is that during my speech, Jeroboam had strategically placed some of his army surrounding that mountain and coming up around the backside of it. This situation was not only a situation where Jeroboam had the vast army, superior army in numbers, but in the end, just before the battle broke out, he was actually in the superior position. Even though Abijah Judah was on the hill on the top, Jeroboam had surrounded them and from the backside come up and basically was right there with them on level ground. It was an ambushment that came about behind them. And Judah was horrified. For it tells in verse 14, when Judah looked back, behold, the battle was before and behind. And look what it says they did. And they cried unto the Lord. And the priests sounded with the trumpets. Then the men of Judah gave a shout, and the men of Judah shouted, and, and the children of Israel fled before Judah, and underline this, God delivered them into their hand. And Abijah and his people slew them with a great slaughter, so there fell down slain of Israel 500,000 chosen men. 
Thus, the children of Israel were brought under at that time, and the children of Judah prevailed. And again, look at this phrase. Because they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. Now, keep that in context with who I am. I am the wicked king, Abijah. I'm the wicked king, Abijah. Here, even though I'm a wicked king, it says here that they relied upon the Lord God of their fathers in this time. As a nation, they did. Now, does that mean that Abijah did? I, I personally don't think so. I personally believe that this entire speech was just political. This speech was political. His theology was right. His politics were right, to a degree. He speaks of Jeroboam as stealing the kingdom or rebelling, and I'm not sure that's entirely an accurate way of putting it, since the Lord gave him the kingdom. But all of this is here. One thing, though, he's really right on, and the real reason that God gave him the victory is because of the covenant that was made with David. And one of the reasons why I'm not so sure that all Israel got right with God in this day is because as we continue on reading, it tells us that Abijah pursued after Jeroboam and we took the cities from him. Bethel and the towns thereof and Jeshanah with the towns thereof and Ephraim with the towns thereof. We took all these towns, these places. One of them, do you recognize? Bethel. What's at Bethel? The Golden Calf Worship Center. The Golden Calf Idolatry Center of King Jeroboam. Now it's gone, isn't it? Bijam destroys it, right? No. That worship center and idolatry continues there for another 300 years. It's not removed at this time. In fact, then as the record continues on, it tells us that Jeroboam, he never regained or recovered strength again in the days of Abijah. You could tell that when he's trying to come down the steps. He never again regained strength. I believe that's militarily, perhaps even also physically. He never regained his strength in the days of Abijah. And here it tells us ahead of the story. And in the end, the Lord struck him and he died. But that doesn't happen until after I die, just so you know. Coming back to me, Abijah. It tells us in verse 21 that Abijah waxed mighty. He grew great. The wicked king grew great. And he married 14 wives. And he begat 20 and two sons and 16 daughters. And the rest of the acts of Abijah and his ways and his sayings are written in the story of the prophet Iddo. First Kings tells us that they are also written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. That's not the book of Chronicles we have, but the more detailed agenda record of the king, the royal record. For it tells us that Abijam slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his stead. All of this took place. Judah was spared because they relied upon the Lord. And 
because the Lord had made a covenant of salt with David and his seed forever. I, I wonder of one, one phrase, there's lots of things I wish we had time to go into in Abijam's speech, and we don't this morning. But look with me at verse 12, 2 Chronicles 13, 12. He says this, And behold, God is with us for our captain. Now, was that personally true for Abijah? I'll tell you what I've written in my Bible next to this whole speech. Is this a speech of Abijah getting right with God? Or is this just for political expedience? The honest truth of the matter is I don't know. I know I presented it this morning for the most part as for political expedience. That's kind of what I'm left with. Perhaps there's repentance here in his life. I don't know. I honestly don't know. No clear statement delineates it. As a nation and as a whole, there was a degree of revival here. For it tells us that they, as generally, relied upon the Lord God of their fathers. That's, that's an important key piece. But what was the real heart here? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what Abijam's real heart is. And you know, we got to be careful sometimes trying to figure out everybody else's own heart. There's really one person we need to think about. That's ourselves. And so I ask you this morning, can you honestly say, and not just for political reasons or social reasons or church reasons or family reasons, can you honestly say, and all you my dead soldiers up here, can you honestly say that the Lord, Jehovah God, is your captain? How about you? Is the Lord God really and truly your captain? I hope he is. And I hope not only is he your captain, the one that you say, yes, sir, but the one in whom you also delight. Do you delight in your God? Is he your God? Let's stand up and let's sing a quick song in closing as we prepare. We know this one, right? Let's sing it together. We'll do it a cappella. Does that work? I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly o'er the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir! I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir! I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir! I may never march in the infantry, ride in the cavalry, shoot the artillery. I may never fly o'er the enemy, but I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir! Is Jesus your captain? Father, thank you so much for your love for us, for being with us. 
May we give ourselves to you in this day, every day. May we serve you, and may we follow you and obey you, you as our captain. And may we delight ourselves in you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.